Thanks, Henry. Uh, the reading comes from Matthew chapter 27. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen or there are some red Bibles in the centre pew if people put their hand up. And I'm sure it can be arranged. All right. So starting at verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age.
Thanks very much for reading, Bruin. This is terrific, isn't it? I feel like I'm in a garden. And is there still secret chocolate? Yes, it's down there. Great. <laughs> Maybe later. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, happy Easter to you. My name's Ben, the pastor here. Um, thank you for coming, especially if you're visiting. Uh, great to have you with us. Uh, you'll find an outline uh, for the talk on the back of your service sheets. And you'll see there at the, the top, the first little dot point, someone is lying to you. I don't know if that's what you expected as you came to church on Easter Sunday, but someone is lying to you. You might think in our contemporary culture that's pretty obvious. In an age of fake news factories and echo chambers, conspiracy theories, it's becoming increasingly difficult to discern truth from lies. One person makes a claim, another one shouts them down, fake news, fake news, and most of us are left wondering, well, what is the truth? But this is not a uniquely modern phenomenon. In our passage this morning from the Bible, somebody is lying to you. The chief priests call Jesus an imposter, and Matthew comes right back at them and accuses them of spreading fake news. Matthew claims Jesus has risen from the dead. The chief priest put out an alternative narrative. Now, every serious academic agrees that a man called Jesus lived on this earth, that he was executed about 30 AD. But somebody is lying to you about what happened next. If Jesus rose from the dead, then the chief priests lied about the most significant breakthrough in human history. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Matthew and his friends have committed fraud on billions across 2,000 years. Somebody's lying. There's no way to rescue the reputation of both sides. And what is at stake is much more than gaining an accurate view of a historical event 2,000 years ago. Because Matthew makes it clear, if Jesus has indeed risen from the dead, then he has the right to rule our lives. In verse 18, the risen Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus claims to have authority over everyone and everything in this world. He claims to be the rightful Lord, Lord of you, Lord of me. It's a huge claim, but is it true? It could be the final lie of a dead imposter, or it could be the truth. That gives your life its meaning. So we're going to work through this passage that we've had read from Matthew's account. And the first point you'll see after that dot point comes in verses 57 to 66. Preventing resurrection fraud. Preventing resurrection fraud. We pick up the story, verse 57. It's the evening of Passover, a Friday 2,000 years ago. Jesus has died, executed, by the Roman governor Pilate through the persuasion of the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus' body is taken by one of his followers, a man called Joseph, and the body is laid in a new tomb cut out of the rock. Two women, we're told, both called Mary, are there as the great big stone is rolled across the entrance to the tomb. The next day, verse 62, the chief priests go back to Pilate and they have one more request. They say, verse 63, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be dead day. 
It seems that it was well known Jesus had predicted his resurrection and he was bold enough to put a date on it. And so the chief priests want to prevent a fraud from taking place. It's no good if you kill a guy for claiming to be the son of God and then you don't keep track of the body and everyone ends up believing in him. So all they have to do is keep a lid on Jesus' corpse for three days. So they go to Pilate with their request. Pilate seems a bit fed up, but says, okay, go ahead, take a guard, and make the tomb as secure as you know how. The stone's already in place, but they place a seal on it, presumably some kind of anti-tamper device with wax and, and ropes, and they post a guard. The chief priests have all the power. The disciples... They have almost none. They're scared and scattered. And Jesus' corpse, none at all. All they have to do to prevent resurrection fraud is keep a corpse in a tomb for three days. How hard can it be? Second point, witnessing resurrection fact, verses 1 to 10. Look at verse 1 again. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. These are the same women who witnessed the burial, who were also there at the crucifixion. They don't know a guard has been posted. They don't know how they're going to move this great big stone from the tomb's entrance. And if they do manage to move the stone, they're expecting to find a dead body. But when they get there, they find everything has been turned upside down. There are guards, but they're acting very strangely. The stone has been removed, and there's an angel sitting on it. Now, the significance of this event cannot be overstated. Matthew's already told us that there was an earthquake at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Looked at that on Friday. And that cosmic convulsion continues as Jesus is raised from the dead. A seismic shift is taking place. The grip of death has been broken. This stone, this picture of the closed door of death is tossed aside, and the only respect the angel can pay to it is to sit on it. Now, you've got to have sympathy for the guards. They're a picture of human power and control. And this should have been a routine exercise, right? Guarding a tomb. The stone, the seal, the guard are more than enough to prevent resurrection frauds. But a stone, a seal, and a guard are nothing like enough to prevent God coming back to life. When it says the guards shook, it's actually a word that comes from the same root as the word for earthquake. The guards are having their own seismic experience. The living ones become like dead men because the dead one has been raised to life. All they had to do was keep a dead man dead, but with all their power and all their resources, they could not do it. The angel says to the woman, verse 5, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. The angel says to the women, you're at the right tomb. This is where Jesus was. Come and see the place where he lay. He was dead, but no longer. He has 
risen. And so the women leave the tomb afraid yet filled with joy, and then they meet the risen Jesus himself. He greets them, and they lay hold of him. This is not a vision. This is not a hallucination. Jesus has risen bodily from the dead. And Jesus repeats the angel's message. Go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And so these women become the first witnesses to the resurrection. They saw him die. They saw him buried. They saw the empty tomb. And then they met the risen Jesus alive from the dead. And it's interesting that Matthew's main witnesses are women. Many people have pointed out that if this account had been made up, Matthew would have surely chosen and invented men to be witnesses. In the first century, in a court of law, a man's testimony was worth twice that of a woman. The fact that Matthew has women as the witnesses is a strong defense for the reliability of his accounts. He's not what happened. Witnessing resurrection facts. Thirdly, spreading fake news. Verses 11 to 15. While the women take their message to the disciples, the guards go and report what's happened to the chief priests. And you can imagine what they might have said. You told us all we had to do was keep off a bunch of Bible-loving fishermen. You didn't say anything about an earthquake. You said Jesus was an imposter. Well, tell that to the angry man with the shiny face. What do you want to do now? And that is the big question, isn't it? What are the Jewish leaders going to do now? If you were here on Friday, you would have heard what they said as Jesus hung on the cross. Verse 42 of chapter 27. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. That's what they promised. If Jesus can escape death, we'll believe. Well, Jesus has done better than that. He hasn't just escaped death. He's defeated it. He's gone through death and come out the other side. And so will the leaders keep their promise? More than anyone else, they know that a resurrection fraud was impossible on that Easter Sunday morning. They'd made absolutely sure no fraud could take place. If Jesus has risen, it's time for them to believe. That is the rational thing to do, isn't it? But instead, they reach for a bag of money and they spread fake news. It's not that they can't believe, they just don't want to. And so they decide to lie to you. Just as they had bought Judas's betrayal with 30 pieces of silver, so now they buy the guards' reports with, verse 12, a large sum of money. It's literally silver again. And this is the message they instruct the guards to spread. This is what you're to say. Verse 13, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And they promise that if Pilate hears the report, they will satisfy him. Presumably, there'll be more silver changing hands to, present the, to prevent the guards getting in trouble. And so, verse 15, the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now, Matthew's writing 30, 40 years after these events. 
And he says, this is still the story. This is still the alternative narrative that's been spread. The thing is, it's not a very good alternative, is it? It's not a very good lie. When you start poking at this fake news, if the guards were asleep, how do they know who stole the body? And if they were roused and woke and saw what was happening, why on earth didn't they do anything about it? They, they can't be moving very fast. They're carrying Jesus' corpse. Resurrection fraud has been, had been prevented. Resurrection fact had been witnessed. The leaders, rather than doing what they said they would do and believing in one who can defeat death, they decide to spread fake news. And it seems many people had bought the lie. But Matthew wants us, the reader, to see the truth. That Jesus really had risen from the dead. And that means that he is Lord. Final point in verses 16 to 20. Jesus is Lord. Verse 18 again. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority is about having the right to rule. And Jesus claims that his authority is unrestricted. It's unqualified. It extends from the furthest reaches of space down to the smallest subatomic matter. It encompasses all people, all men, all women who have ever lived. It doesn't diminish over time. It doesn't depend on what people think of him. He has authority over angels and demons over the natural world and the supernatural world, over thrones and powers and kingdoms. Jesus has absolute sovereignty and dominion. There is no people, no culture, no single being in all the universe that lies outside Jesus' authority. No wonder Jesus happily receives worship from the women and the disciples. Jesus is conscious that his resurrection is the beginning of a new moment in history, a moment marked by his universal lordship. And that is why he mission, go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples. And that is why he promises them his universal presence. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This connection between the resurrection and Jesus' lordship is a central feature of the apostolic preaching that we find in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, for example, Peter preaches to the crowd in Jerusalem, and this is what he says. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He goes on, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
Can you see what Peter's saying? That the resurrection means a complete reversal. The resurrection is God's great vindication of Jesus. You rejected him as worthless. You had him put to death, but God has raised him to life and enthroned him in heaven as Lord of all. So what does all of this mean for us on this Easter Sunday, 2023? Maybe you're here and you're exploring your faith. And I want to say again, thank you for coming. Maybe you find yourself still doubtful about resurrection. I mean, dead people don't rise. And I hear that. Let me suggest another way of looking at it, though. If you can accept even the possibility that God exists, that there's a designer behind this fine-tuned universe, then it must be possible for this God to choose to enter into his creation, to become a human being. And if God does exist, then surely he has power over death. And if this God in human flesh were to die, it actually wouldn't be that surprising if he defeated death and came back to life. Now, in doing that, I I want to show you that belief in resurrection is possible. And then I want to bring you back to Matthew's account of resurrection, the claim that the possible has happened in history. And the risen Jesus declaring all authority belongs to him. And if if that claim is true then it's not a claim resigned to history. It's a claim that stands today. The risen, living Lord Jesus declares this Easter Sunday all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He claims the right to rule your life my life. And so the call of Jesus on this Easter day is that we yield to his lordship, that we bring a whole life under his rule, become his disciples, his followers. For some, that will mean a complete about turn, to change your mind about Jesus accept his identity as Lord and to begin to bring your life in line with his. For others, today it will mean a realignment, to hear that call afresh. And as you recognize areas of your life in which you've been resisting his rule, to respond in repentance and faith. Let me finish with this final thought. We know from the other gospel accounts that the risen Jesus still bore the marks of his crucifixion. And so the one who claims the right to rule is the one who suffered in our place on the cross. The one who sits on the throne of heaven is the one who hung in agony on the tree. Calls us to give our lives to him is the one who gave his life in love for us. 
That the message of Easter Sunday is not just that there is a Lord who demands our allegiance. The message of Easter Sunday is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus who heals the sick and cleanses the leper. Who delivers captives. Who lifts up the weak. Who defends the outcast. Who blesses the young. Who binds up the brokenhearted. Who comforts the, sor- the sorrowing and the suffering who forgives the sinners who come to him in faith. Jesus is Lord. And he is the most wonderful Lord. In serving him, you find true freedom. In surrendering to him, you find fullness of life. In trusting your life to him, you receive the sure and certain hope of sharing in his resurrection to eternal life and glory. Let me lead us in prayer. And a moment in quiet to reflect. Risen Lord Jesus, living Lord Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to you. You have the right, the right to rule our lives. Help us to hear afresh your call today and to respond in wholehearted, joyful repentance and faith. For your glory's sake, amen.